You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Achtung Millwall supports the Lions Food Hub. This is a friendly local food hub. It's based in Bermondsey. It's run by our very own Kelly Webster of the Mill Lionesses, a very well-known Mill fan. They do need supplies, dear listeners. Before we get into the show today, they have posted they need tinned meat, they need toiletries, they need soup, they need tin fruit and veg. If you can help in any way, they are on Twitter, at Lions Food Hub. DM them, you can DM me at Actong Millwall, and I will pass on any help and information that we can. Lions Food Hub, at Lions Food Hub. Thank you for listening. Now back to the show. You're listening to Acton Millwall, broadcasting from beautiful South Germany. Except no substitutes. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, listeners. Um, take two of this. Now I've actually clicked the record button, and Helen is so nicely uh, not going to acknowledge the amateur faux pas I just called there but welcome to Act and Mill Lionesses where we have guests from across the pond Helen Apocha um, a former Millwall player and also with a number of other clubs in England and who's now having a career in coaching across the pond. Helen how are you? I'm really well thank you very much for having me on the show. Wonderful excellent and um, normally as we all know listeners this is a sort of two-man podcast team but unfortunately due to the time differences and working out our schedules Ryan unfortunately He's not able to be on this recording. So it is just with me today. Um, we will uh, talk with Helen about her career, uh, what she's up to at the moment, and also more focusing on her role as a player at Millwall and how she came into the side. But what we'll do is, Helen, we'll start with uh, a bit of research I did on you. It says here you was one of five siblings in South London. As, as a podcast um, and a fan base that is primarily from South London, tell us where exactly you're from, how you got into the game, how you fell in love with football in the first place? I'm from, I'm from Peckham, from uh, actually just, um, just outside Ilderton Road. So obviously the, the road that leads up to the New Den. All of my family are, um, well, I'm the only football person in the family, apart from I've, I've got a cousin who, who represented our national team on the women's side. Um, but even though, I'm, I'm, you know, we're from a footballing area, it's just me, really, who's into football. Um, I went to local primary school, St Francis, which is on the Oakent Road. And um, in terms of how I got into playing, obviously, you know, in the, in, in the playground, everyone just has a kick about. But um, I became good friends with someone who ended up um, encouraging me to go off to uh, a club that she found. And um, the club was in Wandsworth. So I'd be, uh, as a 13-year-old, I'd be travelling from, 
from Peckham with my mate uh, and a couple of others to Wandsworth to play. Um, and then she moved on from the club at Wandsworth. She went to Millwall. And she said to me, Helen, I'm at Millwall. Come, come to Millwall. <laughs> so so I, I, went, I went off to Millwall because my, my friend um, advised me to, to go. And it was, um, it was a massive step up for me. Um, she made the transition very well. And it was a bit more of a challenge for me because it was a lot more um, high focus on the technique. You should already have the technique. So that means you could, you should understand the game. We're, we're going to make sure that everyone's competitive. And it was a lot different to what I was used to. I was a, I was a lot more raw. But um, that's basically how I got into playing. Excellent. Excellent. And and as you say, with that step up, Millwall, uh, Mill Lionesses, as we know, has always had a, a history in the game. Um, has been one of the the sort of historically big big names, bigger names, if you will. Obviously, there's some new teams that are uh, sort of coming along now, restructured the league. But Millwall's always had that sort of sentiment as a real sort of old fashioned and uh, and hub for for talent to grow and progress, isn't it? So you you say there um, you felt a bit raw. It was a big step up for you. Um, who who were some of the managers that you played for, and who were some of the uh, some of the players that you played with, and and how did it feel to belong? Not necessarily just to Mill Lionesses as a team, but Mill as a club, as a community. As you say, you, you were born just around the corner and raised around the corner. You know, you weren't just representing the club, was you? You were representing your community. I'm, I'm very proud of, um, of, of my, my roots. I'm proud of the fact I'm a, a black British. And I'm very proud of the fact that I'm from Peckham and, and I'm from Millwall area. I'm, I'm really, really very proud of that. I still wear my Millwall shorts. <laughs> I, le I left the club years ago. I still met wear my Millwall shorts, so I still, um, I'm, I'm still sort of, I feel, I feel that pulse. Um, my friend who actually is the one who got me into playing is Mary Phillips, and she's, um, she's managing at Peckham Town, and she was uh, Millwall captain, and she went on to captain England. And some of the coaches that we had were massive personalities, massive characters. And I've got a really good friend whose parents were very big and influential within the club. And she and I have been friends for, you're looking at 15 years, we, when we just spoke yesterday. So um, Amy Mason, whose parents um, were like chairman and secretary at the club. Um, so Mills remained a, a part of my life, even though I left quite a long time ago and obviously I stopped playing um, in 2010 but I, I had left about seven years prior to that so um, in terms of the coaches that I worked with or was coached by um, we had for a brief period of time um, the only female coach that I had as a player um, in 23 years and nine clubs was Josie Clifford who I think she works for the London FA now, I'm not 100% sure. Um, and she was an amazingly kind, um, astute coach, very good eye. And uh, I really, really enjoyed her as, as my coach. Um, and we had, we had a lot of coaches come and go. The mainstay um, really was, uh, we, it was, it was a hard one. I think you could tell as a player, even though, even though I didn't have a, a coaching brain, I could tell that it was probably a very challenging environment to come in and coach at, you know. So 
I, I saw a lot of coaches coming and going in in the seven years that I was there as a player. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, it's it's a strange one, is it, with the women's game? Because even though some say that there isn't the pressure of the men's game, you know, the way they chop and change managers at the top level of the men's game, um, you know, through results and you know the board saying this isn't the direction we want to go, and etc. There, there is still some movement at managerial level in the women's game, even if you have yeah. a very stable club and a very stable um, backing and ball and everything like that, you, you will still see movement. You touched on your career there. You, I, I, do, I didn't want to put the years in, Helen. I wanted to be polite um, <laughs> and not, not say how many years you were playing. But it, it really is an impressive career, like over 20 years. And just to list some of the clubs you played for, you've got Millwall, Wimbledon, Crystal Palace, Fulham, Tottenham, and Mitchum. And, and obviously there's a few others you played for as well. Um, we read as well that, that unfortunately it was an ACL injury that, that ended your career. So how, how exactly, if, if that is the case, how, how exactly did it happen? And, and when did you know it was the time to retire? Because luckily at the moment with, with ACL injuries, they, they're not the sort of career ender they used to be, even as much as sort of like sort of 10 years ago. I, I always remember Michael Owen um, at one of the World Cups, I think it was, wasn't it, where his, his ACL went and you, you had Phil Jagielka went and, um, I won't. I don't mind saying my age of 34 going on 35 now, but I always grew up. Whenever you saw people going down holding their knee or their ACL, you'd always think that's it; they're, they're finished. So, you know, how, how did you know that it, it was that that did it for you? Unfortunately. Well, I was. Um, <clears throat> so I. What am I now? So yeah, it was exactly looking at maybe nine and a half years ago. So for me, I was coming to the end of my career anyway. Mm. And um, I'd started to get into, luckily, luckily for me, I'd started to adopt um, habits which helped me to build mental resilience. Um, so I knew that that was my final year in playing. And then it turned out that it was. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> um, basically, at that time, um, there hadn't been a lot of emphasis on the physical development of players and and you know just making sure that players were physically prepared for combat to going out there and 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 being durable during uh, you know 90 minutes or whatever that you'd be playing or training so i had already raised a concern about how we had been prepared because i was older and i was aware that I, we needed more physical um, preparation. So I had a concern going into that year and I voiced my concerns several times about whether or not we were physically prepared. And um, my what I'd said to some players and to my coach at the time was in, in re respect to previous seasons at the club where I'd witnessed knee injuries. Yeah. <laughs> I was the whistleblower and I ended up, um, it, I found out that for female players especially, um, we're susceptible to ACL uh, injuries. So um, I tried my best to prepare myself. Turned out that the second game of the season, uh, it was landing and I landed incorrectly and, and that was it. I was done, second game of the season. So I tried to identify a possible issue and then turned out that really I, I, uh, I was probably a little bit, maybe a little bit unlucky, but 
yeah. we uh, I, I try to make sure we, we I prepare my players differently now and I hope my clubs do that as well. No, of course. And I think as well, so to those listening now who um, are trying to stand respectful here, who aren't too sure of that, as you say, of the sort of ACL um, injuries in the women's game, Jordan Nobbs recently missed the World Cup through an ACL injury, didn't she? And it, exactly. um, as you say, it is quite common in, in the women's game or more common than it is in the men's game to, to um, injure ACLs. Uh, so it is something, that obviously, I do think needs more awareness. It is a shame... Um, I mean, it's a shame to a point it took a high-profile player such as Jordan Nobbs for people to really start looking at it. But as you say, uh, it is something that something that we everyone needs to look at in the game a bit more. And as you say as well, there, Helen, it was good that you you identified it unfortunately before it happened to you. But you you knew there was obviously a chance. Um, we'll move on now past your playing career. So it's quite interesting, listeners. If you was to Google um, Helena Kocha into, into the search engine. One of the first things that comes up is a BBC interview that we did, uh, or she did in 2015, should I say. And um, you started, uh, or not started, you had a career as a police sergeant, didn't you, Helen, um, at one point. And um, you, you say on the say on the, the video there that you, you got your GCSEs, A-levels and a degree, and you really had some fantastic sort of qualifications behind you to go into that career. But you say you weren't happy. Um, and then you decided to go into coaching. What what was it that pulled you away and felt coaching is the path I want to be on? Because it is quite a quite a daunting sort of gamble to make, isn't it? Do you know what? I think that's where the whole South London swagger sort of comes into it. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I genuinely think that where you've been brought up, that culture, it, it, it gives you a little bit of an extra 5% with your... How do you walk down the street? How do you walk into a new room? How do you shake someone's hand? How do you look at them? And there are very few things that actually daunt me. Very few things apart from maybe um, not doing enough. You know, so I've got a confidence that I got from my mother. But I've also got a confidence that I got from where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, Now in the police, I decided to join the police at 14. So I, I tried my best to stay on track and to do what I needed to do to actually, you know, be eligible to apply and, and to, and to pass the exams. Um, but I, I was also trying to be honest with myself and reflective about my career. And uh, I'd always had a passion for, for playing, even though I started playing quite late. Um, but because I had an unwavering passion for the sport, even though I, I wasn't an amazing player, I was, I was a bang average player. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but when I found that being in the police, and, and I'm I'm very proud of that profession as well. I'm, I've got an, an an immense amount of respect for uh, Metropolitan Police, my colleagues. You know, people that I work with, how how they do their job, how they try. However, it's very political. It's very very taxing on on your family, on your well being. There's a lot of strain on your on your mental health. Being in the police, it 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 takes so much from you, and um, I had to have a look at myself and think, I'm um, I'm not enjoying it as much as I did when I first joined. It, it's yeah. it's changed a lot, and that's what it that's all it took. Um, over a period of time, I just realised that I wasn't I, I didn't have that fire for for the career anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's what it was. I, I I spent a year working night duty. And coaching during the daytime so 
I could get practice in to, to see whether I could get better at my coaching. So um, sometimes I look at some pictures of myself during that time and I look like a ghost because I was getting like two hours sleep. <laughs> I just, yeah. I was correct. And, and being a sergeant, I, I'd be having to make decisions about things and people would be waiting for me to, <laughs> and I would just, I'd be passed out. I'd be asleep or I'd not have a clue what day it was. Um, so I realised that I've got to make a decision. I couldn't carry on like that. So that's what did it really. Oh, of course. And one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, that's, a, that's a very interesting story about how, you know, you, you, you work towards something and you, you think it could be sort of like a dream, if you will, or, or the role you want to do, but then you think actually could be going into or you decide to go into something different. But the, the video, the interview that you did, it, it, there's, there's the um, there's the moment as well where you left your house and you moved onto a boat, wasn't there, to sort of downsize so that you could uh, sort of save, effectively sort of save some money, wasn't it? So you could, um, you know, like make sure that, you know, you you your life went far out of control, which was a which was a real brave step to make as well. That's why it's such an inspirational thing that you've done, Helen. But it's it's obviously paid off because obviously if you check your bio, check your websites, you know, you're 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 all over if you search your name on Google as I said, you're all over the place. You've you've coached in China, you've coached with New York Red Bulls, um, Arsenal development, Man United and Chelsea summer schools and and also in other parts of America. So just just with that, how does how did the moving around the world essentially, uh, you know, sculpt you to where you are now? And how are all the different cultures um, and how like different ability and um, sort of disciplines? It's uh, it's very interesting. I mean, you cannot get bored as a as a coach. And it's I've heard people say a few times, "Oh, coaching's easy." I've heard fellow coaches say, "Coaching's easy." Oh, it's easy, isn't it? Oh, it's just like that. It, it keeps you on your toes immensely. It's absolutely brilliant. Now, going from um, coaching at Guru Nanak in uh, Gravesend, <laughs> coaching the U15 boys outside the, the um, Big Temple, to coaching um, my U15, U16 boys here in, in Chicago, and you're just thinking, right, what's the differences? The main differences that I found with players, um, like I said, I said about players in China and Shanghai, is their pictures, you know, um, like 
uh, Frank Lampard used to say that his dad, Frank Lampard Sr., would be sitting in the stands. Uh, you've probably heard this. He'd be sitting in the stands when Frank was younger, when he was playing. He'd be shouting out to him, pictures, pictures. And so when you, when you used to watch Frank Lampard play, he'd constantly be checking his shoulder and it, and it wouldn't be a big, long check. It's literally just a little check of what's going on. And you're thinking, right, what's he doing? What's his eyes doing? And then you find yeah. out, oh, footballers, their, their ability to recognise pictures and problem solve is really high. So the difference in the players that we've been working with in China, in different parts of America, and then compare them to the players at maybe Chelsea Foundation or Guru Nanak, is their pictures. They've got a Super Bowl over in America. They've got baseball. They've got basketball. And then they've got soccer. Their pictures are not clear. They don't know enough about what it should look like because that nine-year-old or that 15-year-old, they ain't glued to the TV like, like we watch the game, even when we don't know we're watching it. Um, and that's been the main differences in, in working with the players from different places is their pictures aren't necessarily formed. And like you, as you were saying there, you really need to sort of go away and experience all these different places, don't you, if you want to develop. And, and it, it really is something that, you know, so, so many other coaches um, would love to do, Helen. So it's great that you're, that, that you know, you're, you're still on this journey and you're, you're doing this because, because every day is a school day, isn't it? No matter how old, how old you get. But, um, one thing I was going to ask as well, sort of half touching on about what's happening in, in the world at the moment. So what are your views on, on the game now um, compared to when you played? Because obviously um, we'll use the UK as an example um, and possibly even some of the other sort of UEFA uh, Women's Champions League uh, competitions. But there seems a real focus on those sort of top two divisions, especially in England. I mean, at the moment with COVID, um, they're the only divisions that are playing. Uh, you know, you've even got like the third tier, uh, the national level, where you've still got some really sort of big name teams there who aren't able to play, who aren't able to train, who aren't able to do anything there. Do you still do you still see that bigger gap between the, the, the divisions as there was back in your day or where it wasn't necessarily a women's super league or a championship or everyone was professional? Did it seem a little bit more there was a togetherness in your day? I think the gap is closed or closing. I, yeah. I don't think it's, it's as big that now. And I think um, one of the reasons for that is knowledge. I think yeah. that the, the players know more and coaches know more now. Um, so w when you're looking at the different levels within the women's game, mm -hmm. you will have, you are more likely to have a, a coaching team uh, who actually are, Twitter people and, and, and they're doing their research. It, it ain't a case of it's just the elite top, which is how it was when I played, really. It was, it was just the top flight that, yeah. that you had people who were kind of the thinkers and it, it, it was clear from what I could see playing. I played in a top three flights and the, the levels were really, really very clear. And I think it was down to the first for knowledge and the awareness that you could actually attain knowledge. So there's, there was a lot that wasn't known. I mean, how could I be trying to persuade my coach that we need to do more physical preparation? That I don't think that conversation would necessarily be as so convoluted as it was back then. I think that that would be a given um, because the knowledge is there that you need to have a, 
a programme uh, which is um, accessible for all your squad to prepare. But I, I think that's what the main difference is now is, is the knowledge is spread out a lot, a lot wider for people involved in the game. Yeah, no, and, and the, the game has grown so, so massively over, over the past few years, as we say. And well, one thing that um, I've noticed from my experience, um, sort of being a part of the Mill Lionesses media team, and even before as a fan of the game, is that there seems to be like quite a lot of new teams coming into regional levels or you're getting more sort of development squads or, or reserve teams and things like that, which, which is fantastic because you obviously want to try and get rid of the like stigma of women's football, which unfortunately there still tends to be. And the best way you can do that is to introduce more, more equality, more teams, more competitions and all that kind of thing. Um, I'm just going to sort of start wrapping this up now, Helen. A couple of questions left because um, I do appreciate you've still got a, uh, your, your day to go. I'm nearly finished, so I've nearly got the slippers on. Um, obviously, <laughs> with the time. <laughs> but um, so we're going going again back to your sort of interview. Um, you made it. You made such a really good uh, good point where it says that you're aware that people think is she here because she's ticking the box for somebody, and that you need to be and that you need to be effective as a coach um, because at the time of the interview, you didn't feel there was as many sort of, sort of female black coaches in the game. Um, since then, how do you think you you know you've inspired the next generation? And what would your message be uh, for someone who was like you in your position before, um, and would like to to go on a similar journey or get in a similar position? I've seen a few more black female coaches since that time, and I think that's the um, the FA have had a big push, haven't they? They mm. they've really pushed for it, um, and that's that's one of the things that makes me proud of 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 being black British. You know how we do things in, in back home in England. It's uh, with a lot of dignity, and I think we try to be fairly transparent about things. Um, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm pretty confident that things will be getting better and better. I can see the changes now visibly. It doesn't take much either. You know, you, anyone who's on social media, you can see that the coaching world is more diverse. You've got younger coaches. You've got more females, and obviously for something that I would be looking at straight away is, oh, there are more female coaches of colour, you know. So I'm pretty confident about that now, that it's it's a lot different to what it was um, a few years ago. Um, the challenge is, obviously, you, 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 have to, you have to do the other side to it. And that's the reason why um, I'm not in England, is because in order for me to get better, I, I have to be coaching consistently I have to be given a chance to coach consistently in the competition so high back home as it should be um but an opportunity to actually work full-time as a as a as a coach it's very sparse um so that's a testament to our football knowledge as a nation um but I I do believe that that things have got better because of what I can see and I think that's that's what counts for the average person is you know you can't be it if you can't see it obviously and I can see more, and, and I think that's um, that's going to be well, it's making a big impact on people. No, absolutely, and and you say that there as well, and, and not necessarily just for um, not just for sort of like female sort of coaches and managers in the female game, but what what is really good now, and things that you're sort of hearing or people are sort of half, even if it's sort of half whispering it at the moment. But we'll use the example of what's happening with Chelsea at the moment. Emma Hayes. <laughs> I was just thinking of them because um, Thomas uh, Tuchel, he started coaching at 25, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. 
space. It's um, you, you're actually starting to see sort of like female officials in men's games, and you're starting to actually hear some female managers actually being sort of like not 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 held for like the big big jobs in men's football. But some people are saying, is it now time that you get some female coaches actually being given a chance at a men's job? Alex Scott is obviously getting some huge plaudits for the work she's doing as well, and you know she's a she's a female talking about the men's game. So it's fantastic to see that. But how, how, how I'm going to end this interview now, Helen, if you don't mind, is what, what legacy would you like to leave? And, and how would you like to be remembered from those who you coached when you retire, when you decide to sort of hang up your, your tracksuit and your whistle? How would you like to be remembered? Um, Galway United have just hired a female coach. And the opportunity to keep challenging yourself and to break perceptions of what you're supposed to be like or what your capabilities are meant to be of without making that your um your handshake you know without really pushing it in people's faces being yourself but also being um being a bit of a rule breaker yeah change the you know change the rules change them and make yourself a little bit more um be innovative and be the first. Don't be afraid to be the first. I, I would like to let, let that be a legacy if I'm able to create one where it's like, well, don't be afraid. We tell players to play without fear, but to be intelligent. I would like to, I would like to emulate that. I'd like to be uh, an intelligent coach and I'd like to play, uh, play my position as, uh, as an educator with uh, a lot of reflection, working hard and, and actually breaking the rules and actually really going for things. Too right, and, and as someone from South London and sporting the South London club, there's nothing we like more than a bit of rule breaking, Helen. Um, if you will, <coughs> and, and uh, yeah, indeed, indeed. And I think, um, I think the fans will be happy to hear that as well. So, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up there, Helen. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you as well to the listeners for, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Obviously, uh, things are a little bit different at the moment, we're not able to get on the pitch as much as we would like, but we're all still together, we're all still, uh. We're all still there for each other if we need it. The Mill Lionesses will be, will still be there next season, this season, if we're allowed to play a bit longer. So, on behalf of Mill Lionesses, thank you very much uh, for your time, Helen. And that just goes with that. Any further ado to say, everyone? Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.